Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. They play the game the way it's supposed to be played. You know what? They take what you give them. If you if you want to shift on the St. Louis Cardinals, they're going to get to take the single the other way. They, that's just they just know how to win games. They know how to beat you. And I think you know the addition of Stephen Matz obviously is a quality starting pitcher. And this game is about pitching. And I think Adam's going to help him. I think the Cardinals are certainly in their in that division. They're going to be a, a, the team to beat this year. It's former Mets manager Terry Collins the other day with BK and Ferrario, and he had Stephen Matz when he was the manager of the Mets. Welcome in. It's the Danny Mac Show as we take you up until 11 with BK and Alex Ferrario. I enjoyed that interview. By the way, BK over at Centene at the E&B Granite Studios. That was a fun interview with Terry Collins, and the one thing that I took away from that, and we had visited with him, remember, uh, right around when the Cardinals took on the Mets at the end of the season, and he was working as an analyst on their radio side, um, is that he loves the Cardinals' defense. So if you find those that throw strikes, which we've talked about, Stephen Matt, strike thrower, then it, it would seem to match up pretty well that the Cardinals would have success. And I, I'm assuming that's what you took away with it too, BK. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, Dan. Anytime you talk to these old school baseball minds, whether it be former managers, coaches, personnel people, whoever it is, they all have the same thought about the Cardinals. It's like, hey, what's there not to love? They catch the ball really well. They throw the ball pretty darn well. And oh, by the way, they hit it to all fields. That's a nice team to put together. And so that's why when I look at what they have going into next year, and I know there's there's still more that they need to add, and we'll get to that eventually, but I like where they're at right now. I really agree with what Terry Collins had to say and that they are the team to beat in the NL Central. That's probably going to sound strange to some of our listeners who watched last year, saw what the Brewers had in their rotation. They're like, yeah, but BK, how, how do you beat that rotation? I just don't believe, Dan, that they're going to be able to repeat that performance. Let's- and maybe that's just me being skeptical. But I, these pitchers nowadays are – the variance is so high year to year, it's hard for me to believe they're going to get 100 starts out of those three again in 2022. And when you look at the deals that were given out to get Matt's four years, $44 million, um, not to say it's a bargain, but it's, it's a good deal. Uh, if he performs at – and what the – the numbers have been in years past and then couple that with the defense he has behind him four years 44 million you say that's a pretty good deal and that's one that probably works out for the cardinals obviously it, it's all about health but we'll see um you know if he can make every start which is a key for him he, he's been injured at times but this seems to be kind of the perfect match for the cardinals to bring in that guy steven Matz, and four years 44 million looking at what other pitchers got in this market yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I asked this of BT yesterday when we were doing the crossover. I'd love to get your thoughts on this as well, Dan. I don't know that there's any other contract that was signed other than you can argue Marcus Stroman. That, that's the one that you'd point to and say, okay, that one's really interesting to me, but there's other red flags there that we can get into at a later time. That's probably the only deal that I look at. And I'm like, yeah, I, I would have liked the Cardinals to have signed that one. Like if I could have a do-over and the Cardinals would have an opportunity to match the contract that a player signed anywhere else. I think the Stroman one's the only one that I have like a lack of buyer's remorse on. 
Otherwise, every other one I think signed for either at market value or above it. Even Max Scherzer. I love Scherzer. And if they would have signed the deal, I would have been excited about it. $43 million a year, though, man, that is a ton of money. And it absolutely would have limited what the Cardinals would have been able to do elsewhere. So I love what they did with Steven Matz. Now, they've got to add to that, Dan. But as I look around the rest of the league, I'm with you. I don't see a whole lot else that I would have preferred the Cardinals have had the opportunity to match. Stroman, to me, was really interesting. And let's let's get into this because the peripherals with him jump off the page. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's an eye-popping 50.8% ground ball rate. And so we talk about, okay, are there guys that uh, give you um, innings? Well, he can do that. Um, can he field his position? Yep. Does he throw strikes? Yes. Does he make 30 starts? Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of things. I really felt in just reading how the market was going and then just kind of reading also what a lot of the ex- so-called experts thought. I thought it'd be like around 125 years, you know, average salary, 125 or so. And he gets a three-year deal from the Cubs, just over $70 million, And he can opt out after the second year. And while the Cubs, it may seem like it's a rebuild, they get a really good pitcher in Marcus Stroman. Remember, they traded for Wade Miley, who was with Cincinnati. He had a good year last year. Um, You obviously have uh, some of the guys that are coming back that can help them out. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is first. Yeah, I mean, first and (laughs) foremost on that list. And then they have a couple of guys that you look at and say, like Alzelay, you know, those kind of guys that can help them out. So... I don't know if it's a full-blown rebuild like a lot of people look at it, especially when you give a three-year deal to Marcus Stroman. You know, when they started the rebuild many years ago, they gave Edwin Jackson a a big deal. And it was like, why would you give Edwin Jackson that deal? And they just wanted a guy that was healthy, take the ball every fifth day, get him through some games, get him through the years, and, and they had to pay for that. Stroman is not that guy. Stroman is a difference maker. And I'm with you. That It seemed like that would have been a good fit for the Cardinals. But uh, he goes with the Cubs, and, and that's a good signing, I think, for them. It's a really good signing. And, Dan, if, you, if I put the over-under at one and a half seasons of that contract that he's on the Cubs for, though, because he did not get a no-trade clause in that contract. And I do think the Cubs are going to be quite bad next year. Would you take the over or under at one and a half years that he finishes on that contract? It's a good question. Uh I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take the over because they have Frank Schwindel. (laughs) (laughs) And when you have Frank Schwindel, all bets are off. Um, No, I I take the over. I I think they they maybe see it out with this thing. And uh, now when I say I take the over, he can opt out after year number two. So maybe he opts out. So it still gets me to the over. Um, and then he's back in a marketplace that we don't know what it's going to look like when we come out of the CBA. But, uh, yeah, I'll take the over. I, I, I know you won't. <clears throat> You're going to look at that and say, hey, we can trade this guy in a heartbeat. And, you know, it's a rental for somebody else. He'll opt out, go to free agency. I get it. So it, that's the other thing that really kind of makes it attractive for the Cubs, too. Yeah. So I I, I think I would take the under for sure. Dan, Shocking. I, I'm with you. Um I'm I'm just shocked to hear you say that, BK. (laughs) Who could have seen it coming? Yes. The reason that I would take the under is because it is an immensely tradable contract. If you get to the trade deadline this year and the Dodgers, the Giants, the Yankees, any of the big market teams, if any of them need pitching help, 
I mean, Strowman's going to most likely be the best pitcher available on the market, and all of those teams could take on that contract if they needed to to help them down the stretch. And he fits with the way that he pitches basically anywhere because the guy throws strikes, as you mentioned, and he's a much better strikeout guy than Steven Matz, for example, as well. He's going to get those strikeouts. So I think he's a guy that would likely be available and tradable at the deadline. He also is a guy that next offseason you could see traded as well. So I would take the under on him. But I do like it for the Cubs because if they are, if you're right, Dan, if this thing gets turned around for them quicker than we are all sensing on the outside looking in, well, then he fits in with that timeline yeah. as well. It's a way to bridge that gap. It's a way to hedge your bets a little bit. If things go better than expected, cool. We got a frontline starter that's able to be a cost-controlled player for at least the next two years for us. If it goes poorly for us, sweet, we've got a great trade asset that other teams deem as valuable. So it's really the best of both worlds. It's a smart deal for the Cubs. I am very surprised that he didn't get more years. The money makes sense. $25 million the first two years, that sounds right. The two years guaranteed with a third-year option, that was really surprising to me, and it makes me wonder if there was less interest in him than we were expecting. Well, I, I was thinking the same thing. I, I thought he'd get five years and 20, 25 per year in that range, and it just makes me wonder, what am I missing? Am I missing something here? Is there something with a personality? Is it uh, something that people don't like behind the scenes that we don't know? Because that is a really favorable deal for the Cubs. And anybody could have spent that money on him and gotten that kind of deal, and they didn't. So it does make me wonder a little bit behind the scenes, is there something I'm missing? Maybe not. Maybe this is the market for him, and this is how it played out, but I was a little bit surprised too. And maybe he felt like, hey, the CBA, the deadline's coming. This is my best offer. I'm taking it, and I'm moving on because I want security. That makes sense too. I, I find him fun, though, because I follow on Twitter, and, and he's a guy that's engaging with fans and all that kind of stuff. Right away, he went on Twitter, and he went right at uh, sh- uh, shortstop Carlos Correa, who's still out there, and, quote, need you in Chicago, my dog, and we're going to win. And so he, he's Was fun. that him or was that you tweeting? No, no, sir. I, I do do a lot of you're my dogs, but not with that one. No, that was not mine. We need you to get on the Carlos Correa uh, recruitment. I need to see that exact same tweet coming from at Danny Mac TV. I, I need that in my life, Dan. Yeah, well, I know you want to spend everybody's money and bring Korea <laughs> yeah. to St. Louis because that's what you do, BK. But no, I'm that's not. Right. I'm not going to be doing that. Um, well, the Cardinals can't contact him, so I figured you could be an intermediary during this time. Oh no, 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 <laughs> sir. All bets are off. Um, the Brewers, by the way, and right now currently constructed, I think the Cardinals are. Because of teams losing some and what they did at the deadline, like the Cubs and the Cardinals signing mats and having a lot of arms, which they had at this time last year. I do like their team, especially with what they did down the stretch. But the Brewers just acquired Hunter Renfro from the Red Sox. He had 31 bombs last year and they unload Jackie Bradley Jr., who was awful. He was terrible with the uh, with the uh, Brewers so he go, he goes back to uh, the Boston Red Sox along with a couple of prospects tell you what David Stearns man he finds a way and that is a big big bat that they get because they're going to need it and I've talked about this before Christian Yelich if they had Jackie Bradley and Lorenzo Kane, the collective war I mean of all three was like a two five or something like I mean it was nothing so they needed a bat they needed offense we know they have pitching and that was a good trade we'll see how it plays out but that on paper looks to be for the immediate a good deal 
David Stearns is so good, man. God, yeah, he, he is so good. I, I my, my buddy asked me this the other day. He was like, hey, where would David Stearns rank among your the, the best general managers, presidents of baseball operations, the guys that are in charge of a baseball department in your mind? I said, I think he's top three. And you can look at the Dodgers front office, the Giants front office, and what David Stearns has done. For me, those would probably be the top three in my mind. And this is just the latest reminder of that. I saw earlier today, Ken Rosenthal, by the way, Dan, he wrote about this uh, acquisition for the Brewers. He said there was one other guy that they were looking at potentially. Did you see this? It was Randall Grichik was the other player that they were looking at potentially acquiring for that big bat that could they could add to their, their middle of the order. Either of those would have been the perfect types of additions for them. I think Hunter Renfro is a good player. I'm not sure that he's going to repeat what he did a year ago. 30-plus bombs seems like a potential outlier season, but even if he doesn't, if he's a 20-home run guy, that's exactly what this team needs. They they just lacked offense last year. We talked a lot about that with the Cardinals. The Brewers' offense, especially towards the end of the season, was even worse than St. Louis's right. offense. Right, and it really cost them in, in postseason play. We're going to visit with Tim Kirchin coming up, uh, Danny Mac show on a Friday night, or rather a Friday, getting ready for a Friday night. I got high school basketball tonight. I'm fired up. I'm, I'm going to watch uh, my daughter play a little high school basketball. So we got uh, we got that on the table. We always can break that down, BK, if you want to. I can get into some of the X's and O's. And I did have a question for you, though. Are you are you mentally stable? Because uh, no. you're, you're close to getting married, and this is an anxious time for anybody that's on the clock. You are on the clock now officially to get married. Are, are you are you mentally stable? Are you okay? No, <laughs> no I'm not? not mentally stable, but so that's nothing home, new. <laughs> you go home, and what's what's your life like? So is your wife going crazy? Uh, what's happening here? Well, my fiance is wonderful, Dan, and I would never say anything of the sort about her. Um, but if you're asking me if there is a lot of stress in my life right now, mm-hmm. I would say yes. Is it coming? <laughs> I will leave it at that. Is it coming from her or her mother? No, her mom's been great. Like truly, sincerely great. Mm-hmm. Um, she's been incredibly helpful. I, sure. I'm actually saying this in all sincerity. I know there are some horror stories out there. This is not. That has not been the case for us. Um, it's, it's everything we had, uh, the other day, I will not name any names yesterday. Actually, we had somebody, uh, put on our wedding website. We will actually not be able to attend after saying for the last eight months that they will be attending. And so that couple has, uh, we, we missed our deadline for saying that they won't be there. So we're going to be paying for their plates, even though they won't be here. You know what you could do though? Yeah. You could auction off a chance to go to BK's wedding and raise some money for charity. Because there's, yeah. there's going to be big-time celebrities there and sports figures, and they have a chance to mingle with that open bar and have a little dinner. Why not? I'm sure that would go over super well with my fiance. I'm, I'm just trying to help you out, buddy, <laughs> and make <laughs> Thanks, you a man Dan. of this community. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack, and Tim Kirchin is coming up next. Back to more of the Danny Mack Show with BK on 101 ESPN. at uh, Centene and the Blues on the road. Next game will be this weekend. We'll have it for you on 101 ESPN. And uh, I'm Danny Mack in the studios of 101 ESPN. And we bring in uh, the great historian, writer, lover of the game of baseball from ESPN. And that's uh, Tim Kirchin, who's always kind to, to come on and, and visit with us. Hey, Tim, uh, Dan McLaughlin here. Great to hear your voice. How you doing? Um, well, fellas, how you doing? Doing well. Um, let's start with the news of yesterday. Just your initial reaction to, to hearing about the lockout for Major League Baseball. 
Well, I'm certainly not surprised. I think we all kind of knew this was coming. Still very disappointing that they can't get together on something by December the 1st. What concerns me is how far apart they still are. Sometimes you get to the finish line and you say, all right, we're almost there. They're not almost there. It's going to take, from what I can tell, best guess, a couple of months to get this figured out. But if they can, and February the 1st, let's say, we have an agreement, then you would think spring training could go off as planned, as could the season. But... Again, it's very disappointing that this is where we are. The gap between the two is wide, and it needs to be closed very quickly. Well, it's got two months to close it, and then there's going to be a frantic race for free agents and trades and everything else. And let's just hope uh, February the 15th uh, players are starting to report to camp. Tim, if I'm a casual baseball fan and I'm looking at all of this that they're going back and forth on right now, all of the different issues, what are the things that make the biggest difference that's being negotiated right now for me, the casual fan? What are some of the things that I should know about? Well, I think you, I think the casual fan needs to realize what the players are trying to do here. First off, they were beaten badly in the last CBA and now they're trying to get everything back and I don't think they're going to get everything back but what they want more than anything is for their players to be paid sooner than say six years free agencies after six years as we know a lot of players get there at 31 32 let's say and by then you know they're they're not going to it shows they're not getting paid at 32 they're getting paid more at 22 so they want to lower that to free agency say, after three years, and they also want to get to the point where there's no roster manipulation, service time manipulation with young players. When they're ready to come up, they should be allowed to come up, and clearly some teams don't feel that way. So there's so many huge issues out there, but those are two of them, is that the players want to be paid sooner, and that at this point is not going to happen. Tim, I always try to find silver linings out of various things, and I thought, and I don't know if I'm right about this, I could be naive and completely coming out of left field, but you got to change with the times, and this last you know, week or so of free agency was so much fun. Do you think in the future that baseball would say, hey, we'll, we'll have a deadline, let's say, right after the winter meetings, and then no player movement? through the holidays, and then we'll ramp it back up. So you have like an early deadline and a late deadline to kind of have the interest of that going on. Yeah, I'm with you. I think there's something to that. When when teams know this is it, like the trade deadline on July 31st, everything gets done on that day. I mean, it's it's really discouraging. Well, it's interesting that you leave the winter meetings every year and you think, all right, we just had our big – our big winter meetings, and then six trades or six moves happen soon after they leave. If you put a deadline on it and say, all right, all trades, all transactions have to be done by X date, maybe that will get things going in another direction. If you have that second date you're talking about, you know, teams may just wait and say, all right, we'll, we'll just go for the second one. If you only make one date, maybe, maybe everything will be done by the middle of December, and that, that would be pretty good as far as looking ahead to your team. Tim, as you look back at the the moves that have taken place thus far, what's your favorite one? Maybe not the like the best player going to the best team, but what's your favorite fit among the moves that have been made thus far? 
Well, there have been so many moves already. Um, look, and you, you can't mistake the obvious. The Mets were in big trouble, and they went and got a center fielder, Starling Marte. They went and got a left fielder in Mark Canna. They went and got a third baseman, Eduardo Escobar, and they got the best starting pitcher available in Max Scherzer at $43 million a year. So is this healthy for the game? Probably not. Is it is it good that one owner has this much more money? Probably not. But there's no way around this. The Mets were going to do something big. They just went bigger than I think anybody thought. And I, I think that's just the most intriguing one because it's the biggest one. And we'll see if now the Mets can, A, get a manager to run this team <laughs> and then do something with all these new players. You have great reverence for the history of the game, and uh, obviously you're talking to a lot of fans here in St. Louis, and some would say, well, yeah, let's bring in the DH. Others say, no, 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 I love it the way it is, and we're talking about pitch clocks and bigger bags, and do you limit the shifts? Um, and with your reverence to the game, you also know the game needs to change. So from put the, the fan hat on for Tim Kirchin, what would you like to see with the game that you think would make it a better product? Well, a pitch clock is a good start. I'm not sure it can be enforced, but I think it's worth a try. Um, I'm not in favor of the extra inning rule. I'm not in favor of seven-inning games at all. Um, I'm in favor of looking at the shift. Mark Teixeira has talked me into this. I was totally against outlawing the shift. But the way he explains it is this is one reason why we have so many walk strikeouts and homers is a big left-handed hitter comes to the plate. And sadly, he is incapable of hitting the ball the opposite way because he's been hitting it one way, swinging it one way his entire career. So now he looks at the field and sees three guys lined up on the right side and says, well, I can hit a ball through that, so I have to hit it over it. And that's when you get into the launch angle and let's try to hit the ball out of the ballpark. If you start with two infielders on each side and every infielder has to start with with feet on the dirt maybe that left-handed hitter looks up and says hey i can hit a ball up the middle and actually get a hit and maybe he tries to do that in trying to hit it instead of trying to hit it into the third deck i think that's at least worth exploring a lot of these other things um 100 percent against Tim, when you look at the, I think one of the moves that they're going to make in this new CBA, it feels like it's almost assured at this point, is the expanded postseason. How would you feel about that? Well, I loved it in 2020 when we had eight playoff teams and it turned a 60-game season into a horse race, and it was it was great. And I broadcast so many playoff games that year, which was so much fun to do. However, I think eight is too many. I think seven is too many. I think we have it right at five playoff teams per league. I think we have it right that the last day of the 2021 baseball season, remember that day, fellas, we had about eight to ten teams that had to win that day, and we started every game at the same time. If we had eight playoff teams per league or seven per league, maybe that final day doesn't matter that much. And maybe the, the integrity of the 162-game season goes away to some degree. I, I don't like that idea. So I would keep it at five, but I'm realistic enough to know how much money is made if you have seven playoff teams. That's where I think we might be going. But I'm okay with five because it, again, preserves the integrity 
of 162 games. So with uh, no player movement right now, and you love the sport like we all do, a lot of the focus will go on the Hall of Fame, and you got Barry Bonds, you got Clemens, uh, you have David Ortiz for the first time, uh, Alex Rodriguez, Sammy Sosa, you know where I'm going with this. What do you think happens with the Hall of Fame vote this year in terms of those players? And I'm going to throw in Scott Rowland here as well because of a, a St. Louis connection. Well, I vote for Scott Rowland every year, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, as for the steroid guys, uh, it's really a tricky, tricky question because I've been doing this for over 30 years as a voter, and this is by far the hardest thing I've had to do is to figure out what to do with guys with connections to PEDs. Well, clearly Alex Rodriguez is not getting in this year because his connections are thicker than just about anyone's, much like Manny Ramirez, who only gets 30% of the vote. This is Bonds and Clemens' final year. I've voted for them every year, not with great pride, I must say, but I do. Uh, But I don't think they're getting in either. And David Ortiz is the fascinating one to me. He clearly has Hall of Fame numbers, but he has a connection. But it's unclear what kind of connection he has to PEDs, and I think he's going to be the most interesting guy. So, It's possible for two years in a row, no one will get in on the writer's ballot. That's possible. And I'm not sure that's really good for baseball, but that might be, might be the reality. I'm really curious what your thoughts are as to whether or not they should be in, but there's two guys, Kenny Boyer and Kurt Flood. And certainly with this, what we're talking about now, you think about Kurt Flood, but what do you think about those two and their chances eventually somehow, some way getting in? Well, Ken Boyer, if he goes in the Hall of Fame on this special committee, uh, that's a good thing for the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's how good a player he was. Now, do all the numbers stack up? Maybe not. But let's not forget the time and the era in which he played. That was not a great era for hitters. So his numbers looked at today may not be that impressive, but they are. So I wouldn't have any problem with Ken Boyer going into I think he's going to make it. My guess would be no, but we'll see about that. And Kurt Flood, of course, is in a different category. Uh, The courage he showed, the commitment he showed um, is just amazing. Now, he's in the Hall of Fame for other things. His numbers aren't going to get him in. But if, if the Hall of Fame is a museum that chronicles the history of baseball, and Kurt Flood needs to be in the Hall of Fame, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. And and maybe maybe that's a big mistake. Tim Kirkchen, Tim Kirkchen, excuse me, is our guest here on 101 ESPN covers baseball for ESPN and ESPN.com. Tim, final question that I had for you: Our, our morning show host Randy Carricker asked this earlier today, and I'd love to get your thoughts on it. Uh, back when baseball had the strike in the mid '90s, it was the home run chase that really brought everybody back to the sport. If there was, and God forbid this takes place, but if there was something that actually went into the season and canceled games this year for baseball, what do you think it would be that brings the fans back the way that the home run chase did in the mid to late 90s? Well, first off, Cal Ripken started the road back with his chase of Lou Gehrig's record. And then, yes, the home run chase between McGuire and Sosa brought a lot of people back. I'm not sure what's going to bring it back if we have something similar to 94-95. I'm not sure the game can withstand that, given its current standing in this country and the way that this country looks at baseball and everything else. But 
we have so many great young players out there. We just, that's what's going to bring everyone back is watching Wander Franco play a full season, watching all these young players on every team, whether it's Ronald Acuna Jr. or Juan Soto. It's amazing. I've never seen this many great young athletic players in the big leagues at the same time. That's what's going to bring everyone back watching the breathtaking play of those guys, not to mention Otani, Trout, and some of the more established players. That's that's our only hope. I just hope we, we don't have to get to that point where we need to come back from something. Tim, always great to catch up with you. Happy holidays to you and your family. And uh, as always, thanks for doing this. Okay, fellas, take care. You got it. That is uh, Tim Kirchin of ESPN. Really interesting stuff. Um, the Kurt Flood thing to me is such a no-brainer for him to be in baseball's Hall of Fame. Not only was he a great player, and I've talked to Tim McCarver about this. He said, I, I think that there's a case to be made, even if you take out what he did to get to free agency and the reserve clause and all the different things that he did on the business side of things. He said he was a good enough player maybe just to get in on his own merit, but then it cut his career short, and we all know what happened. But he's such an important part of the sport, and if you're, you're trying to chronicle the history of the sport – my goodness, that guy's got to be in. Yeah, for sure. I mean, all the things that we're talking about today. Exactly. Like Kurt Flood was kind of the start of this. So um, I, I'm totally with you, Dan. I, I think to the final point of what Tim said, and I agree to an extent, the the young players are exciting, and I get a chance to see it up close. I mean, it, it is the best collection I've been around of young players that I'm seeing of speed, power, defense, all those things that we talk about. But they're also, we always go back to the point of you got to be able to market these people too. And that's both baseball and the Players Association of taking your stars. And I don't know how you do it. I mean, there's various ways, and I'm sure people have thoughts. But how do you market those guys? How do you, how do you make your LeBron James turn into Le- LeBron James of the sport? Um, I mean, Mike Trout, in his time in the game, has been significant. I mean, it's one of the greatest runs, if not the best run, the, the sport's ever seen to start a career. So how do we market that? How do we get him out there better? Now, it's two-way street. He has to want to be marketed to. I understand that. But what what opportunities can you present to those players? And, again, it's I think it's sometimes tough to compare the sports. Baseball, you're playing every day. Do you have the time that you can cut out to go do the commercials, the video games, the various things that will bring in some of the players? Um, probably not. But – there's got to be ways to do it, and and I, that's what I think is you got to be able to take those young people, put them on center stage so that the average fan understands who these players are. It's interesting because we, we give baseball a lot of grief for this specific reason, Dan. I, I think they've done a pretty good job with Fernando Tatis Jr. of marketing him in a way where he has become a national presence now in uh, in the public conscious. I think it's really hard sometimes with certain guys like Mike Trout just wasn't all that interested in doing some of this stuff. He's gone like subway commercials and things. But if I put a lineup of people in front of my fiance, for example, I don't think she could pick Mike Trout out of that group. And I think that's just part of that's on him. Part of that's on baseball. Sure. But I think it's also just the reality of the way that these things work. Some of it just has to be organic. Like Shohei Otani became a national superstar this year because of the way that he was playing. In the NFL, for example, is Justin Herbert. 
like a star? I, I don't know. I don't think my fiance could t- could tell you what Justin Herbert looks like. Um, and yet he's one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL right now. So I don't think it's specific to Major League Baseball and the way that they are uh, marketing their young stars. I think it's just really hard to do. Hockey has the same issue sometimes. Like Connor McDavid is a, a transcendent player and yet a lot of people don't necessarily know what he looks like. They couldn't, if he was on a commercial, say, that's Connor McDavid on my television right now. So it's not just a baseball issue. It's really difficult to break through in today's game and in today's society. So it, it's tough, man. I, I don't know how they do this better other than just having players like Fernando Tatis Jr. that just force their way into the public conscious. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack. There was a story right before uh, things were shut down in which uh, it was interesting what happened with the actual baseball in the sport. We're going to get into that when we come back. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mack Show with BK on 101 ESPN. So one of the things I want to get into with uh, respect to the baseball last year from uh, uh, Business Insider, according to a new study by Meredith Wills, a Society for American Baseball Research award-winning astrophysicist, the league used two distinct types of baseballs, one lighter and deader than the other during the season a year ago. Willis found that the league did indeed indeed introduce a new ball with a lighter center, as it pledged to do in the February memo, but she also found that MLB continued to use the older, heavier center baseball at the same time, apparently without telling fans, clubs, players. I found that to be interesting, BK, because if you're a scout in particular, um, that changes things. I mean, that changes things in a big way. Your pitchers, what you're seeing the hitters do, if you're using two different baseballs, so obviously... That is something that if you're looking at a player, you kind of it, it was kind of like with the sticky tack. What am I seeing here? You know what I mean? It, it was a really interesting article. I don't know if you had the chance to see it. Yeah, I did. And it just it my biggest takeaway, Dan, was the lack of trust that exists between the players and the owners. And this is just another reason as to why players are skeptical of everything right now. They are skeptical of owners saying, this is how much revenue we have. What are you hiding from us, owners? Why do why do you not want to show us exactly what your real revenues are? And why can't we agree upon what the baseball-related revenue, revenues are that exist right now? So that that is one thing. And then you look at the on-field product, uh, the fact that in mid-season, they decided to do the sticky tack stuff. And baseball players were like, wait, you can't just change this in the middle of the year. This is something that you need to implement in the offseason season and then the same thing is true of the baseballs themselves they thought they were playing with one baseball and it turns out they were playing with multiple different forms of the baseball which reacts to uh the crack of the bat very differently some of them fly others look like they die at the wall so it's into (laughs) such a broken relationship between the players and the owners this feels like more of a symptom than the cause, but it's just another example of it. I, um, I'm i going to switch gears. Do you know Please. who uh, Joey Molinaro is? I don't believe so. All right. It's a uh, young man on Twitter that can imitate Nick Saban as beautifully oh, as yeah. anybody. 
So he has released a video this morning, and I'm just going to watch your reaction. So he cut the video by being Brian Kelly with an accent. If you missed it yesterday, and all of a sudden just went down to the bayou and picked up a, a southern accent, little twang to it. So this is a Joey. I had to play this for you because I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, I'm going to do this for BK because he likes you love football. And you love college football, you love the pros, but uh, this cat is funny. So this, and he goes back and forth with himself as Nick Saban and also the new head coach, Brian Kelly. Before we play this, Dan, just for background, if anybody missed this last night, it's important context for what Brian Kelly has become. He was just named the new LSU football coach, and yesterday he was introduced at the halftime of a basketball game down at LSU, and he suddenly had an accent Like, I don't know where it came from, but suddenly now he has a southern accent. This is a gentleman that is from Boston and has been coaching in South Bend, Indiana for the last decade. He's been the head coach at LSU for, what, two days now? And he already has an accent. So here it is. This is uh, Joey Molinaro and playing both the roles of Nick Saban and the new head coach at LSU, Brian Kelly, on a phone call. Hey, Brian, just wanted to call and congratulate you on the new job. My word, is this the Alabama slammer himself to who I am speaking with? This is Coach Saban. Well, consider me flying a kite in the middle of a thunderstorm (laughs) on a hot July day because I am shocked. All right. When the phone rang, it tickled my interest. But now, well, now, Coach, you have my attention. To what do I owe this pleasure? Well, like I was saying, I just wanted to call and congratulate you on the new job and and welcome you to the SEC, and and I look forward to competing against you for years to come. Oh, well, that's mighty kind of you, Coach. Mighty kind. Brian, I got to say, this doesn't really sound like you. You you all right? Let me guess. You're talking about my accent. Oh, I just can't help myself here with all this southern hospitality. It just oozes onto you like spreading butter over a hot roll on a muggy Louisiana summer day. Brian, you've been there for a day. Well, now, Coach, let's not rush to judgment now. Maybe if you want to talk more about it, then you and Miss Terry are always welcome to come over to the Kellys for some iced tea or maybe even some lemonade. Well, I appreciate it, but unlike you right now, I got a program to run that's in the middle of some pretty important games, so I think I'm going to have to turn you down, all right? I understand, but just remember, as we say here in the South, my house is like a church. Always open to all, but especially on Sundays. That's not even a saying down here. You're from massive frickin' Tucson's. <laughs> and when you watch it, he's even got the mannerisms. He's even got, all right, you know, he's doing the whole thing with saving. All right, this is how we do, okay? You know, he gets into it. So I figured I had to play it for you. I just wanted to get your reaction. I, I thought you might like that. I, I love so much what we saw last night from Brian Kelly. Um, it, He is... He is really playing to his audience right now, Dan. And I, the beginning of the video has not received as much attention as I think it deserves. The first thing that he says as he gets on the mic at halftime of this LSU basketball game is, you guys are already cheering for me, and I haven't I... even won all of my games yet. Yes. Dan, you're a football coach. It's we, we in our football games. Yes. It, it's amazing. This guy, I... 
I do not have a whole lot of interest in Brian Kelly, the person. Uh, Brian Kelly, the football coach, is a hell of a coach. But, man, I am fascinated to see what this fit ends up becoming over the next few years because, woo, buddy, on the surface, it does not look like a fit at all. We'll cross it over next with Alex BK. They'll be at Centene the next three hours. That's coming up on 101 ESPN. Cramming more St. Louis sports talk into your brain. It's the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Cross it over as BK and Alex have three hours from Centene. Guys, what do you have coming up? Yeah, coming up today, Dan, we've got uh, Mike McKenna at 11.15, former NHL goalie. We're going to talk to him about what it's like to fill in in a spot like this with Ville Husso now being the Blues starting goaltender for, uh, you would assume, at least the next week or so. So we'll talk to Mike McKenna about that coming up at 11.15. Ben Heisler, our football insider, will join us coming up at 1 o'clock as well, talking a lot of Blues between now and the end of the show. So who do you have in the, uh, the title games, the conference champion? Chips this weekend. You got Michigan over Iowa? I do. I've got all of the favorites, basically. I yeah. think that's the way that it's going to go. I, I think the one that I have less interest in than probably most casual fans is Georgia versus Alabama. Dan, I just think really? this Georgia team is better um, in a significant way than Alabama. I don't know how Bama beats them. I, I will be watching, don't get me wrong, but I think it's going to be a 10-plus point spread at the end of that one. And we got a big weekend uh, basketball and soccer for SLU this weekend, so good luck to the Billikens, and uh, that's Saturday night. You can see the game at 5.30 on Valley College Sports. basketball season's over for me, Dan. Well, and uh, I was going to ask you about that and make this quick because we got to go, but uh, boy, oh boy, last night against Liberty, what happened with uh, Mizzou that's now losses to UMKC, Liberty, Conzo in year five, hasn't won an NCAA tournament game. He's been to two. You know, the buyout on that is $6 million if you want to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. it's uh, not good right now. Dan, they scored 14 per- points in the first half. Yeah. I don't 14. know if you... They had more turnovers than points at the end of the first half, Dan. Did you hear my uh, stat that I had for what they've done the last four games? Were you listening? I, I can test no. you. So they are 19 for 89 from three in the last four games. 19 for 89. That's 21%. Yikes. <sighs> All right, buddy. Have a great weekend. Relax. It's all going to be fine. Okay? Just relax. I'm fine, It's the time of your life. It's a a grand celebration seeing two young people come together and celebrate love. Okay? So just relax. We've got got two more shows before I am sitting on the beach with a drink in my hand for a week. I am good to go. But until then, three hours with Alex. Good luck with that. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... With the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.